everybody welcome to this week's episode of the industry 4.0 weekly community live stream uh, today we're going to be answering your questions we're here with uh your instructor for this next hour walker reynolds i'm, I'm zach scriven your community manager wow thank you 17 of you already in the chat and we are a few minutes early so thank you we've got an exciting um, list of questions prepared for you today there's no spotlight today uh we were going to have mr john mckeon on but there's a he asked me to push it back a few weeks. There's some exciting uh, advancements he's working on, you know, with GIS, our partners over in Ireland. So we're going to be bringing him on the spotlight here next, uh, within the next few weeks. If you guys also do want to come on the spotlight, we are we are accepting guests. We, we, we'd love to have you guys on. Um, and also, uh, yeah, Walker. What's up, dude? Hey, so you guys may notice Zach is here in Dallas. He's in the conference room down the hall. And Vaughn is, um, actually, I think, is Vaughn on mute? I think we might be hearing Vaughn in the background. <laughs> Vaughn is on his way to the airport. He's fixing to fly out here to Dallas this afternoon. Yes, He'll be shooting a bunch of content next week. Say, hey, Vaughn, say hi to everybody. Hi, hi right. Vaughn. Hi, Vaughn. <laughs> so we'll be shooting a bunch of content this week. And... Um, and uh, specifically, uh, actually, we have a lot to shoot. I think we have a really long, right? We have a really long shoot scheduled for tomorrow, right, Zach? Um, yeah. And we have another shoot in two weeks because we've been getting so many channel sponsors that we actually have like a backlog of, well, we, we've had a backlog of content uh, just from all the ideas of things we want to create. Now we actually have resources to go and create it and distribute it across all the channels for you guys. So, so today... The, the bulk of our conversation today is going to be centered around OPC UA. Um, and a lot of what we're going to shoot tomorrow is OPC UA stuff. We're going to clarify some things. We're going to respond to some people and all that kind of stuff. Um, we have a bunch of other content we're going to shoot, but we're going to be, we're going to be talking about OPC UA and, and um, that. Today, the topics that we're going to cover today, so I'm going to answer a couple of questions. I want to highlight some stuff that got, um, you know, some sponsor stuff. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about EasyVPN. I'm going to talk a little bit uh, about Tossbox a little bit. Um, and I'm going to talk about Canary Labs and some stuff that's going on next month. But the, the, the bulk of this conversation today is going to be OPC UA, Purnell's Law, the Iron, uh, law, uh, iron, um, iron law Bureaucracy. And we're going to talk about disruptive leaders. The reason why is I want to lay... Uh, groundwork for um, the, the rest of the month. So what we're going to cover the, in mentorship this month and what we're going to cover in um, in Mastermind. Um, I Obviously, you guys know I, I'm back from sabbatical last week. It took me till towards the end of the last week to get caught up. I had thousands of messages to go through. It was crazy. Um, and I still have not gotten through everything in Discord. I've, I've highlighted a bunch of stuff that I need to reply to. I've tried to reply to as much as I possibly can so far. The big one is um, I, there's a there was a big conversation about OPC UA in um, in Discord, um, and I, I want to go. And I'm we're actually going to get a little technical today. Uh, I'm going to test this. A lot of people will ask me. I get asked this question all the time. You know, Walker, how come you don't go into the details? The reason why is because our content, we try to keep uh, very, we want to appeal to a broad audience. So we try to stay 
uh, conceptual, abstracted at the 10,000 foot, 5,000 foot level on these on these topics. Um, you know, things like, you know, why is OPCUA not the future of IOT? Right. Um, but today, I think we're going to get a little I want to get in and answer a couple of questions um, for the people who have never read the OPC UA standard. OK, I've read it every word, all the companion specs. Um, I know Jeff Schrader has read all of it start to finish. I know that Matt Paris has read it all start to finish. They have done super deep dives like I have done. And they've also clearly dabbled in, you know, building OPC client solutions and stuff. And they're very and 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 they know the MQTT side. They've dug deep on the MQTT side. So I want to I want to touch on that stuff. So today we're going to talk about bureaucracy a little bit. We're going to talk about being a leader um, during a disruptive period of time in your, for your organization. And we're going to talk about OPC way, but I want to touch on a couple of things. Let me, before I get started, open my, we're going to get into some code. Um, I'm actually going to go through some, show you guys like actually how a OPC client actually works under the hood. Uh, so let me get that open before I start sharing my screen and get yelled at by somebody. Um, let me go to right there. Let me go there. All right. Let me go there. Right, boom. John Sindrit says he likes ads. He like he John likes actually likes ads. Yeah, I, I think he's I'm not sure if he's being serious or not, but, you know, <clears throat> you guys know that our ads are going to be different than commercial. They're not going to be commercials. It's going to be educational content and with like always all of our sponsors do not change our opinion they just provide the opportunity to connect with hey, you guys listen our, our our sponsors are amazing people here's why they have agreed to support the channel for the community and they are putting their money where their mouth is because they have they have also agreed to allow us to give our honest assessment of the good bad and ugly of their products They've agreed to easy VPN IOCon compared to Tossybox. Right. They're allowing us to compare their products to other products. There are absolutely no restrictions. That's part of the reason we only have three sponsors so far is because there's a lot of companies out there that are not going to allow you to say anything negative or whatever. Right. So um, and and so uh, let me. All right. So I've got that piece up. Let me go and share my screen. Um, how's everybody doing today? So we're a minute after. How's uh, how's everyone doing today? Any questions that I can answer uh, from Go right now before we get started? And when I say that, I got to wait like 15 seconds to see if anyone asks a question in the chat because that's how long the delay is from when we... I think because the FCC wants to be able to... Um, <laughs> bleep me out if I ever. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go ahead and share my screen. And then. Uh... All right, cool. Allow. Zach, I'm sharing my screen, right? Yep, there you go. All right. Community spotlight. I want to give a couple. Are we going to go over the differences between UA and MQTT? Yes. Lavelle. Uh, Lavelle. Lavelle. Um, we are. I'm going to go over some of these things. A couple of shout outs. I did not ask for permission to give these shout outs. I tried to call uh, Dave Hellier <laughs> to get permission from Tatsoff, but 
Uh, Dan Riken, you guys may not know this. So Dan is, he leads the study group one um, in mentorship. So that's the the original uh, federation group. Uh, they meet every other, Dan Riken, forgive me, if correct me if I'm wrong. Um, you guys meet every other Saturday in the morning for a couple of hours. I've been on there a few times. They'll invite me in. Um, I know Mario Ishikawa is part of that group. Uh, Dave Schultz. Uh, Andrew Ott, Dan Riken, John Sindrich. Forgive me if I'm forgetting anybody else. Um, and um, anyway, Dan reached out to Arlen Nipper and invited Arlen to sit in on that study group this month. Um, and Arlen agreed. And I, I know I don't remember which day. I think it's the last day, last day of the month or whatever. And Arlen's going to tell funny Walker stories. I'm sure they are going to be stories of Walker pissing people off with his opinions and, and, uh, you know, challenging prevailing thought. Um, I'm going to go ahead and tell a funny Arlen nipper story right now so that he, I can take it from Arlen. So he doesn't get to say it. <clears throat> um, so I was introduced to Arlen nipper. Um, I think seven years ago. Um, it was when it, it was, it was, it was before the, the, um, Cirrus Link Inductive Automation Partnership was announced. Arlen was presenting at ICC, however many years ago that was, guys. And um, he was giving a presentation on MQTT. They had built a real quick MQTT module for Ignition. And he was giving a demonstration where he basically showed um, a self-aware system. So Matt Paris, Jeff, th th we talk about self-aware um, systems all the time, edge, edge driven, self-aware systems. He demonstrated a self-aware system using MQTT and ignition. And at the, and if you've never been to ICC it, live, um, you, at the end of each session, you can go up and, and ask questions on the mic. And, and I, I literally walked up there. I, I walked up to Arlen, uh, and grabbed the mic and said, uh, this is my first word. I, I don't remember exactly. I said, the world just changed today. The world just changed with this presentation. And I said, and if I did that demo for every manufacturer on the planet, we could fundamentally change the way manufacturing operates. Uh, Jonathan Hoddle, who is the guy who did the MQTT OPC benchmarking. And if you guys look at the, 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 ta the um, benchmark data that's on the Canary blog, Jonathan Hoddle was in the room that day. Um, and, you know, Jonathan and I talked, he, he's actually based here in Dallas. We actually talked about that presentation after that presentation. And that's how I met Arlen seven something years ago. He ended up flying out to Dallas with his team and we started putting together use cases and testing things and really helping, you know, um, it, if you got you study group one guys, you guys are absolutely going to um, love this. I mean, Arlen is a brilliant guy. Uh, I'm going to tell another story that's really, really funny. And and I, I wanted to tell this the other day, but um, so I'm a member of a yacht club and it's not like a yuppie yacht club. It's a member of, you know, it's like a Joe, you know, it's the Dallas Yacht Club. I'm a member of the Dallas Yacht Club. And the I was um, I went to it. We do like a first Fridays thing. Um, it's like a happy hour at the marina the first Friday of every every month. And I and I we've been a member of the of the the club for a couple of years, but I, we've never gone to anything. It's just, you know, it was part of where we put our boat. Right. And, um, I met the Commodore. So the Commodore is the person who 
it leads the yacht club. And and I meet the Commodore and I'm just shooting the shit with him and stuff. And I find out like what he I he asked me what I do. And I'm like, oh well I you know I'm I do industry 4.0 and you know I, I we use a technology called MQTT and he says to me, he goes, Oh, I know MQTT. I go, what do you mean? He goes, Oh, well, inventor works for me. And I said, What? He said, Yeah. I said, Andy Stanford works for you? And he said, Yeah. And so they what are the odds? I mean the odd, so you guys may not know this. MQTT is was co-invented by Arlen Nipper and um, a guy named Andy Stanford from IBM, and and they they did it for Philip sixty six. And the find out this guy who's you know he's like yeah I'm I'm the director that he you know he reports to me. And uh, you want to talk about like small world? I said to my wife, I'm like, what are the literally what are the odds that you know, this guy. So you guys will get a chance to bring that up um, in the study. Actually, I'll be in that study group one. So shout out to Dan Riken for putting that together. Number two, shout out to Inductive Automation and Tatsoft for supporting Penn College of Technology with scholastic licenses of their IoT platforms, Ignition and Factory Studio. Jeff Rankin had stole my thunder. He put it in the chat earlier uh, that, hey, thank you to those guys. But anyway, that was in here. So Jeff Rankin. So Jeff Rankin's a member of the community. He's one of three, I think it's three professors at Penn College of Technology um, who's who's driving Industry 4.0 education. So if you're in that area, that Pittsburgh area in Western Pennsylvania, one of the you know elite programs for Industry 4.0 is emerging out of Penn, uh, Penn College of Technology. So uh, and Jeff Rankinen, who is on here every week, um, you know, he's you know, uh, they're doing a great job out there and, and who, whoever is going to be getting their education there is going to be getting the education you want to be getting. Okay. Number three, Michael Dowdell. Sorry, I didn't get permission from you for this, buddy. But uh, shout out to Michael Dowdell and his team for developing a very impressive IIoT demo, leveraging their IIoT 4.0 lab. So if you look, I have my 4.0 lab back there using Ignition Perspective. You guys really, um, if you're a member of the community, ask Michael very nicely about his demo to see if you can see it. Very slick. Incredibly, I was very impressed with that development there. Very nice job, um, Michael Dowdell. Awesome job. Um, okay, any questions, anything before I, I move on to the next subject? Uh, speaking of Dowdell, yes. Dowdell is one of the members of our mastermind that is looking to do DTMAs. Is there any update on that process? As yes. well as Ectobox and other members of... Good know, question. GIA. So we have... We have three or four members of Mastermind who are ready to start doing DTMAs right now, okay? So here's the update, uh, the Digital Transformation Maturity Assessment, which is the scoring system, you know. So you guys, uh, there is a, there's a public-facing notebook for that group. And if, you get, if you're in Mastermind and you don't have access to that notebook, reach out to um, Zach and he can, he'll get you set up. I think everybody has it, has access now. So... Uh, we, that notebook, basically the, the DTMA, we're going to be licensing DTMA at, at the request of the, the team, uh, the members of mastermind. So what, what you're going to get is the training on how to do digital transformation maturity assessments. Number two, what, what are all the materials? So what's all the documentation? Um, uh, what are all the systems? That's the notebook. You get access to that. And then you get access to the data set. You'll be able to score your clients and then get a report where you score your client against the existing sample set and build your reports, okay? 
um, and actually, a uh, Hive MQ said Dow Dell would love to see the demo. I think it's Hive MQ that's running in the background, by the way. I think Hive MQ is a broker. Correct me if I'm wrong, Michael, but I think that's what you guys got running there, right? Um, so, Copar is um, uh, partnered with um, Hive MQ. They just announced it the other day. Correct. Yep. Um, so the the so what's the end user license agreement for the digital transformation maturity assessment is complete. Um, we have uh, three minor items we got to finish, and then we'll be able to turn over the uh, DTMA to the to the members of Vastermind who are ready to start doing them. Okay, um, but yes, we're just about ready, uh, and then we're we're moving on to licensing out everything else. Um, any any other things you want me to talk about? And 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 Michael Dowdell, I'm not pandering to you, man. I mean it. That that was, you know, your your goals with that demo are definitely. You, you know, you're going to blow people away. It's impressive. Michael's um, got the team. I know. Very, I mean, and whoever, whoever did his perspective development is obviously gifted. I mean, I like ignition perspective quite a bit. I'm not a web developer. So, I, and, and, the, and I'm not a web developer by choice because web development and CSS sucks. Um, and it, and perspective is still really young. You know what I mean? There's still a lot of like, um, you gotta, you gotta do a lot of engineering lifts to do, do cool stuff in perspective um when i was looking at his, his the person it's impressive um excellent all right so let's talk about uh pernell's law of bureaucracy here here's why i want to talk about this um we've been doing a lot of midi assessments for companies uh, a lot of them and um you know i think in the last four weeks we we completed or maybe five weeks, we completed like seven of them. I I just completed a couple of DTMAs for a couple of really large organizations. And both of those organizations, the two organizations I'm talking about here, basically had the same problem, both companies, okay? The first initial barrier that they got to jump, okay, is uh, leadership. Um, one of the questions that I ask in the leadership session for the DTMA, when I'm, when I'm meeting with the leadership of an organization. And I, well, the very first question I asked them, real question is, do you guys in this room, guys and gals in this room, believe you're the smartest people in your organization? Okay. And then, you know, is it, do you believe the people closest to the problems are the smartest people in the organization? Or do you think you are? And in both of these cases, in both of these last, you know, these couple of companies, they had very little faith in their people. Very, very little faith. I mean, one of the companies... Um, scored zero out of five in terms of they said faith that I, the faith I have in the rank and file to solve their own problems. The leadership said we have a zero out of five. That is no, absolutely no faith that we need to solve their problems for them. And another and another company did uh, like a one or a two out of five. And, and this is multiple man, multiple managers and executive leaders they had no faith in their people to solve problems. Wait, they admi they admitted that? Yes, they admitted it. I mean, well, I mean, Vaughn was on the call <laughs> on all the calls. So, um, the, and you know, heard it was on mouth and, and you know, Travis was also normally you have to, you have to decipher that for yourself. Like they might say, no, we think that we trust them, but really you got to figure out what they actually mean. Well, I did a good job of pushing their buttons so that they tell me the truth. Um, you know, I, I did a good job of, I mean, one of them, one of the companies I really had to rattle pretty hard. Another one I just moderately, but yeah, they ended up telling the truth. 
Um, but here, here's why. It's not because those leaders are bad people. All right. This is really important to stand out, to point out. Okay. Um, it has to do with a concept called Purnell's Law, uh, Iron Law of Bureaucracy. I want to give a shout out to Ben Vinema. Um, from, um, he's a member of Mentorship. I think he's also a member of Mastermind. He's a member of the community. He posted a link to this blog post um, from Purnell, uh, from Jerry Purnell. I think he put it in the general chat or something um, in the middle of July. Um, this is a law that we reference all the time when we're talking to leadership. Okay. Um, but so I want to go over what Purnell's uh, Iron Law of Bureaucracy is. And, and here's why this is important. Okay. In large organizations, Purnell's Law says that you have two types of people. Okay. Person one are those who are devoted to the goals of the organization. So that's mission, that's vision, right? Examples would be like dedicated classroom teachers in an educational bureaucracy, many of the engineers, technicians, scientists at NASA, also in your manufacturing operation, or even some agricultural scientists and advisors in the former Soviet Union, okay? The second group, okay, are those who are dedicated to the organization itself, the existing organization, not what the organization's trying to achieve, but the structure. They're committed to that structure, okay? Examples are many of the administrators in an educational system, professors of education, teachers, union officials, etc. NASA headquarters staff, yada, yada, yada. In a manufacturer, this is going to be the people who work in the corporate headquarters, okay? These are all those v uh, VPs. <laughs> yes, the OPC Foundation is a bureaucratic organization. Nicely done, Zach. Um, the Iron Law states that in every case, the second group, those who are committed to the organization in a highly bureaucratic organization, will gain and keep control of the organization. It will write the rules and it'll control promotions within the organization. Why do I bring this up? This law is a very important law when you're trying to understand why it is that organizations made up of incredibly smart people can't seem to innovate. Okay, we're going to talk about in a little bit about disruptive leaders. Okay, and the reason I'm bringing this up, it all goes to the heart of the challenges that manufacturers are facing as it relates to digital transformation. If you're a really large organization and you can't, you do not understand why you can't be successful in innovating your organization, you should start with Parnell's law. Okay. The thing you should do next is look as what is what does it take to be a disruptive leader when you're developing disruptive technology or disruptive innovation. Okay. So number two, I want to talk about disruptive leaders. I'm going to put the, the links for all this. Let me drop these in here right now so you guys can take a look. So the, the obvious question is, how do we overcome? This is a great article, by the way, uh, by Harsha Pereira. He's a executive coach. Um, he does a great job of explaining why this, why Purnell's law matters and why organizations need to be focused on overcoming that iron law. How do you do it? The answer is you use disruptive leaders. Okay. So I'm going to drop in a articles I'd like you guys, I encourage you guys to read. Okay, one is from Forbes. Another one is through the, um, the Center for, um, um, the Center for Creative Leadership. Okay. 
the disruptive, and I, I, I'm just going to quickly go through. If you want to, you know, one of the things that I stress all the time in a, to organizations is that digital transformation is not continuous improvement. It's groundbreaking innovation. Okay. It's painful. It's hard. It's not easy. The vast majority of organizations are going to fail. Over the next 11 years, really between 2020 and 2032, 11 out of every 12 U.S. manufacturers is either going to go out of business or get acquired by another manufacturer. Okay, so they're going to be part of an M&A strategy, get gobbled up by a competitor, probably an emerging competitor, or they're going to or they're going to be fighting for a smaller and smaller market. Here's a really good example. Tier one automotive suppliers. Okay, the the current automotive model, the model for I I make uh, the part that goes in the finished car. Okay, that model Tesla has proven is broken. Okay, the Toyota production system, the Toyota model system, um, those that model is dying. Okay, so if you're a tier one automotive supplier, for example, that's a really good one. Dowdell will tell you the same thing I'm telling you guys. He's not going to say anything different about where that market's going. If you're a tier one automotive supplier, for example, and you are not focused on transforming your organization so that you can become a supplier to a new type of manufacturer... And what you have done is sentenced yourself to death. Okay. Now, how do you change? If I'm a huge organization, not tier, it doesn't, I don't have to be tier one. I can be anything. And by huge, I mean more than a thousand employees. Once you get over a thousand employees, now you start, you start steering towards high levels of bureaucracy. Okay. How do you overcome that? How do I take, how do I take the, the, the current state, which is built on um, success in a completely different market and transform my organization so that I can become a leader in a completely new market? The answer is disruptive innovation using disruptive leaders. Oh, um, like, yeah, go ahead. Well, well, you can, you can use the, definitely use the Tesla example, but <clears throat> easy VPN, great example company that came out within the last decade started out using enterprise VPNs and made a pivot using di disruptive leadership to, to create IO hub, to create this whole new industry 4.0 product that is going to drive a lot of their EVP, easy VPN sales is through that disruptive technology from a VPN provider, something you would not even think of getting that solution from. So the same thing could be said about manufacturers. If you create the platform, if you create the digital ecosystem, then you can pivot right? Correct. Exactly. It's a, it's a very good point. The obvious one is Tesla, right? Musk is a disruptive leader. I, I encourage you guys to read these two um, pieces on disruptive leaders. When you are within your own organization, okay? Within your oh, own organization. Within, I appreciate you, Omar. Thank you, brother. Um, within your within your clients' organizations, you, what you want to be doing is identifying who the disruptive leaders are. Okay, I had I had a call today with a client this morning with their leadership group. Okay, and um, and the, and 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 this organization is 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 um, they have challenges. Okay, they have real very very real challenges. Um, in order to remain viable in the market, they do very real market uh, challenges. There are many. There are some people in the organization who know they're in trouble, 
there are some people in the organization who are oblivious, and there are some people in the organization who are five years away from retirement or they're leaving and they don't care. Okay. But I had asked the question in the leadership meeting. You know, we have identified person X as the smartest person in the room, and we gave the name. Would you, you as a leadership group, would you agree that this person is the smartest person in, in the room? And they said, yes, not, they weren't in that room. It was a metaphor. Um, then we said, we identified these other people as balls of pent up potential that are, that are, that we need to release and allow them to start innovating the organization, enabling them to innovate the organization. And we went person A, person B, person C. Does anybody disagree? No, of course not. All right. Here's the here here's the importance of the iron law of bureaucracy, Purnell's law, iron law, and the need for disruptive leadership. Every person in that room had already identified the same thing we did. They already knew who those people were. And yet the current state of the organization prevented them from unlocking that potential. And the vast majority of the organizations you are going to come into contact with, you may work for them already are in that exact same boat. Okay. All right. Any, any questions about that? All right, guys, I, I know that we normally, I think this is, I think this conversation and the OPCUA conversation is, is very, very important. And that's the reason I'm going to have it today as opposed to doing our regular Q and a, um, any comments so, on that? A yeah, leader, leader in that position would have to be tech, take a step away from being that second type of person and take a step towards being that first type of person in order to unlock that potential. Cause it was funny the way you said it is like pent up un untapped potential. Mm -hmm. And I was like untapped potential. You're implying there that their, their talents are not being used. Right. And so the question is why? Well, what I would say is most of the time, the smartest person in the room are those, those innovators you have all over your organization. They're not, it's not that we didn't tap into their innovation. It's that the leadership stifled their innovation it's that there was an active there was an active campaign to to push that person down i i've always said this about leadership i do not believe for a second that there is anybody who is born that with the with this personality trait you know i wake up in the morning and i go you know what i want to do a shitty job today <laughs> i don't believe anybody's born with that personality trait okay i don't think anyone is literally born nature. You know what? I want to do a crappy job. That is not part of the human experience. That's not part of the human recipe makeup. But we all know people who do crappy jobs. People do crappy jobs and do the bare minimum. There are a lot. I know a lot of people who do that. And you know why? Terrible leadership. They do it for lots of different reasons. You know, they, they had great ideas and nobody tapped into them. And, you know, they, they got their ideas stifled. They became disenfranchised in their organization. Um, maybe they're rough around the edges. You know, they're not sophisticated. They don't know how to talk to, you know, upper level personnel. And and because they're rough around the edges, they sort of get dismissed as stupid and unsophisticated. Dude, let me tell you something. I've been doing this a long time. And it is funny to me, you know, I'm generally richer than the people that I, you know, the, the if I'm talking to like executive leaders and I'm talking to the CEO who's getting a $10 million bonus or whatever, I generally have more money than those people. And I, and I act like it. I carry myself like I do. I, you know, I, you know, it is very, it, it, it's crazy to me how 
how accustomed leaders become to, or I use leaders in air quotes, become to um, rubbing shoulders and glad handing. You know what I mean? Focused more on relationship than result. People who work on the plant floor, people, the, the rank and file, the, you know, the engineers, all, all your site level people, they're focused on results. They're focused on solving problems. They could give a shit what your personality is like. They do not care what your personality is. You know, when you when you're when you're the the rubber on the outside of the tire, where you're you're the rub where the rubber meets the road, there's only one thing you care about. Grip. <laughs> That's it. Is there a nail on the road? And do I have grip? Okay, you don't care that the road's made out of concrete. You don't care that it's made out of asphalt. You don't care that you're on a dirt road. What you care about is grip, the results. Okay. And and my encouragement to the community is you have to focus on the people. You have to focus on the people who A, know what your problems are in your organization, that they they because they deal with them every single day. And then you have to enable those people to solve those problems. That has got to be the focus, the initial focus for any organization as it relates to digital transformation. All right. OPCUA. Uh Good afternoon, Chris. Hey, how's it going, Chris? Yell. All right, Zach. Let's let's go over this. Give me. Let's let's do the the background. So, everybody, real quick, you guys are all should all be familiar with. I've shot many videos on. You know, is OPC the future of IAOT? Um, you know, I we've done OPC versus MQTT. Uh, we've done the things that I suggest people should. You don't do. You really shouldn't pit MQTT versus. OPC UA, there, there's a place for both of them. Um, while I was on sabbatical, there was a uh, there was a long conversation in the I don't know which channel it is. Let me take a look. There's several several actually. The initial conversation uh, was with Ian Scarrett. I think it might be on here. Uh, yeah, had a, right had here. A, had a change with him, and it just started to stay like he didn't really seem to be answering the question. So, so I put it on. So let me. So let me go through this conversation in the Discord server. Let me quickly go through this. So in an in a nutshell, in a nutshell, our, my position is this: OPC UA is not an IIoT protocol, and it is not an IoT protocol because it isn't edge driven. Although it can be in some cases, it is. Um, it's not lightweight in any way, shape, or form, and it isn't always report by exception. Okay, so therefore. It is not an IoT protocol. Now, there is a debate to be had about whether Part 14 of the OPC UA standard, uh, which is published, subscribe, is, is, uh, makes it truly report by exception and truly edge-driven. Okay, There's a debate to be had there. Here's the problem with Part 14. Okay, the, part, the problems with the Part 14 standard is two. Number one, next to no one has implemented it. And no one's implemented it in its entirety. So it doesn't matter what's on the piece of paper. What we have to focus on is what's available in the market to solve problems. Okay. The OPC UA standard is, takes forever to read. It takes even longer to understand. Um, it takes even longer to find someone else who's read it. And it takes, it, it is not possible to find anyone who has implemented the complete standard. Why? Because it does not exist anywhere in the market. And I challenge anyone, I challenge anyone in the world to show me a product 
that fully implements the OPCUA standard, including part 14, and we can leave out the companion spec stuff. So drop all the companion specs, and you show me a product that implements everything. Okay? So that's the background. I can take, and, 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 and here are some of the issues that we have with OPCUA. Now, there's a place for OPCUA in an IoT infrastructure, but it is not the, it's not the IoT protocol. That is the protocol your entire infrastructure is built on. What you're doing is you're taking OPCUA and you're transforming it or converting it using protocol converters into MQTT. Ideally, you're taking the OPCUA topic namespace and converting it into an MQTT namespace. Now, while I was gone, there was this conversation, uh, Ravil, um, who had a back and forth with Ian Skerritt and Cheryl and Dave Schultz and everybody, right? And um, let me start by this. This is not a beat up Ravil thing. I want to answer his questions. He is clearly a um, highly gifted uh, engineer. He's well-versed in the OPCUA standard. But it is obvious that Ravil knows what he knows. Okay, And I did, I did actually have a one-on-one uh, was going to be 15 minutes, ended up being like 30 minutes uh, with Ravil. And by, but, you know, what, 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 what I want to do is I want to shoot a video this week that, that goes piece by piece through some of the things that Ravil wrote. And, and this is in unified namespace. So if you guys want to see, you know, kind of what the conversation was, all right, I want, I want to touch on some of these things. Okay. I want to touch on some of these issues. Okay. Um, so there was a whole conversation about subscriptions and OPC UA. All right. I want to explain a couple of things. Ravil at one. So Ravil, at, and I'm not going to mention his name again. I just don't want this to be, I don't want to pick on this guy in any way, shape or form. He's obviously gifted and smart. And this is something I can guarantee you. Okay. And I know that he has an OPC product, right? And he's invested in it and everything. And he really knows OPC. Work, he, works for Matricon for he, years. He has a background, Matricon, all that stuff. He will come around. I promise you. It, 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 there, I, let me let me say this. Uh, I somebody told me the other day that there was somebody on LinkedIn who was like trashing me, saying I was like giving misinformation about the OPC Foundation, OPC UA. I assure you, I am not. Okay. Every single person who has ever come to me and challenged me and said, "Hey Walker, you said X about OPC," in my position, it's Y, not X. I explain X. And they agree. In every single case, it's never happened. Not one time has it ever happened where we've had the actual conversation. They've taken the time to reach out to me. We've sat down and I've walked them through every point. Have they disagreed? And this includes chief technical officers and CIOs of huge organizations. One of them is, I, you know, I. Real, real-time automation. Right. Without putting people on blast. I don't want to put, you know, if you look at real-time automation, for example, right? Um, you know, um, John, uh, what's his last name? Rinaldi. Um, Rinaldi. That's just one example. I'm telling you. Every single person. The with, one that is the with, one that admitted it, though. With, we're, without exception. Matt, Matt Paris has given me a lot of great feedback saying, hey, Walker, when I heard you say X, Y, or Z two years ago, I was very skeptical. And I disagreed with what you said. Until and until I did a deeper dive and 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 I've come to the same conclusions you've come to, my recommendation to you is to explain more concisely what you mean. My response to Matt is, I'm trying not to narrow it down to just the audience of Matt Paris's, who are you know brilliant engineers. I want 
a much broader audience to understand when they see the OPC logo, that doesn't mean open. That means that means a subset of what was meant to be open. Every time you see the OPC logo, every time you see the OPC Foundation logo or OPC UA logo on a product, and and I have two products, and one of both of them got the OPC logo on them. Do you know it's entirely possible that those two things won't even talk to each other? Because you could implement one part of OPC in one product and another part of the OPC standard in another product. And because you didn't fully implement, they're not going to talk to one another. And you don't have to trust me. You can talk to anyone who's done this deep dive. Okay. Oh, so, uh, speaking of the IO let, link. Let me, hold on. Let me, let me say this real quick. I read through every Ravil, everything Ravil said here. In, in this um, thread. Every single point he brought up, I have personally tested myself. Okay? Everything that I say about OPC and everything that I say about MQTT, he has not tested my claims. But there is no claim he made that I have not personally tested myself. And I'm going to go into details here. I'm actually going to show you guys some example code of how you talk to an OPC server and the things that you have to do to retrieve data from an OPC server using subscriptions. Because that's something he brought up. Okay? All right? So here, uh, let me say this. Michael Dowdell, it's pretty simple. Let's just look at the OPC solution empirically. If OPC was and is the solution, why are we still trying to transform? OPC has been around forever. Exactly. So before I get into this code, I, and, and for those of you who are not interested in looking at code and the underlying you know, the interoperability, how do I take a program and connect to a server and work with it? Okay. You guys will drop, you can drop off at the end. I encourage you to watch it because I'm going to try and put it in layman's terms. All right. Let's talk about where the, OP, where the OPC standard came from. Just the, okay? uh, but by the way, let me, let me say that. Let me say this one last thing real quick. Sorry. Before I, there are members of OPC um, foundation members. Okay. Companies who are at the forefront of OPC, sit on all the committees, write the fucking standards, okay? They have people in technical uh, positions high up in their organization who always agree with me. The moment we get off and it's just me and, and that vice president of technology or me and their senior solutions architect, we agree 100%. So what I'm going to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about in the videos that we shoot this week, I'm going to explain what I mean when I say OPC is not really open. Okay? I'm going to explain what I mean when I say it is not lightweight. And I've showed you guys this data before. Okay? And I'm going to explain what I mean when it, when I say it, it's not report by exception. Okay? I'm going to explain that. All right? But let's talk about where the standard came from. In, in the OPC Foundation's defense, what do they need to change? Number one, they need to strip out the technical debt and the standard. Matt Paris did a great job writing a piece on LinkedIn, a long-form piece that goes line by line, bullet point by bullet point. Here's what needs to change. The first thing they have to do is they've got to strip out the technical debt in the standard, in the standard proper. Number two, they've got to limit the use of companion specs for OPC. Okay. Because now companion specs are important, all right? But there are too many of them, and no one implements all of them. But just because I see OPC doesn't mean 
that that thing talks to that thing. It just means that they've adopted portions, pieces of the same standard. There is very little in the OPC standard that is compulsory. Okay? What you have to do at the OPC Foundation needs to make the standard proper compulsory. So if I'm going to put the OPC label, okay, once I strip the technical debt out, and, and what's the technical debt? It's all the remnants of master-slave poll response, okay? You got to strip it all out. Imagine you're writing the standard starting today with today's environment, today's technology. Number two, you got to make the standard compulsory. If you're going to put the OPC logo on your product, then it needs to be truly interoperable with all other products that have that logo on it, okay? Number three, throw part 14 PubSub out the fucking window and rewrite it from scratch. And your primary goal needs to be this. We are going to write a standard that is going to allow users of OPC tools to create self-aware systems. If you don't know what a self-aware system is, give me a call. I'll show you one. But in at the end of the day, this is what you do. Imagine plugging a sensor in. I plug a sensor into an ecosystem and all the places it needs to be viewed, it just shows up. How do we do that currently today? We take that edge-driven device, we plug it into an MQTT infrastructure, It we point it to a place in the namespace it's got to show up, it shows up, the visualizations, the MQTT clients that are consuming, subscribing to the data in the namespace are notified of the new topic that showed up and the visualization pops up on the window. That is self-aware, okay? You cannot do that with OPC UA. So all of these people, I, uh, Ignition Factory Studio, uh, I, yeah, I can, I, in fact, uh, so Michael Dowdell said, can you share the code for Ignition in Factory Studio? I'll share the Ignition code with you. So I give you some UDTs and I can give you the code that would run on a, a screen for self-aware, yes. Um, you can't do that with OPC UA, all right? Now I have laid out what it is I think the OPC Foundation needs to do. I want to touch on a couple of things, um, and then I'm gonna we're gonna get into this code. I'm gonna walk you guys through what is it you know what does an actual OPC client uh, do. So let's go back here to OPC versus MQTT. I wanted to show uh, Ravil made some claims, okay, as it relates to throughput, um, lightweight, heavyweight, etc. Okay, here are the actual results. He said that he couldn't look at Jonathan Hoddle's um, methodology for testing MQTT versus OPC UA. Um, I did the initial benchmarking. Walker did personally, okay, and then Jonathan Hoddle formalized it and did it, and it was and he published it, okay. Jonathan used the same methodology I used, which is is listed listed right here, okay. So I'm going to go ahead and read it to to everyone because not everyone's had a chance to read this. So. Um, they're compared because OPC UA... So somebody was asking, why does MQTT and OPC UA keep getting compared to one another? Here's why. They're compared because OPC UA is trying to position itself as an IIoT protocol and standard. And I'm telling you, it isn't. And I can prove that empirically. I do it all the time. Okay? I agree with you. OPC UA is an industrial standard, and it's marketed as a protocol and a standard, and it's, mar but, and it's marketed as the IIoT standard. OPC UA came from the world of Modbus, which was master-slave. When we talk about poll response, that standard is an extension of two things, 
serial network, and the Modbus standard, which was designed to pull devices on a serial network. Master-slave. We call this deterministic. What is it? What, what's the issue with the master-slave relationship? And the answer is this. You have to know what the slave has in order to ask for it. Self-aware means if the slave adds something, it will tell me it's been added. I don't need to explicitly subscribe to something in the slave. The slave can be updated and then notify me. That is called a node architecture, hub like, and spoke. That like, is not point-to-point master-slave pull response. Go ahead, Zach. Sorry. Like, like the internet itself. Correct. Exactly. <laughs> all right. So, all right. OPC, some standards. OPC UA is too verbose, and it requires too much overhead to run smoothly on PLCs directly. That really has to do with the code you write. If I want to put an OPC client or an OPC server on a PLC, it, it requires too much, too much resources for hardware manufacturers to say, you know what, I'm going to put an OPC server on my PLC. It requires too much resources. And the more tags I add to my PLC, the more resources the server requires. It's basically a two, actually, it's an exponential impact. So that's why you don't see OPC servers widely deployed on hardware. It's too verbose. Now, when I say verbose, I mean overhead. That is the amount of resources required for the code to run and the verbosity of the transmission. How big is the payload when I'm communicating between client and server? And I have all the data to show you the difference. Okay. So MQTT is far more lightweight and runs smoothly on PLCs and edge devices. Okay. OEMs can afford to add MQTT support in their edge devices, but they can't reasonably use the OPCU standard for modeling in those edge devices. Here's why. I can go ahead and add MQTT support to my existing hardware. We talked to the Easy VPN guys today, and I was talking about, hey, I, how I wanted this one hardware manufacturer to publish the data of, you know, all the status data of their appliance over MQTT. They did it 24 hours, start to finish. You do not write an OPC server in 24 hours, okay? You, fuck, you don't even pull, you don't even create the namespace on your piece of hardware in 24 hours, let alone create the OPC server that's going to serve it out to all the clients, okay? So number one, it's just way easier to deploy it with MQTT, okay? That's why we're getting wide adoption of MQTT on the edge and not with OPC away. That's why FreeWave uses has an MQTT server and not an OPC server. They have an MQTT client and not an OPC server. That's why um, um, the CMT SVR from Maple Systems has MQTT support and it and the OPC server is optional and you got to pay for it. Okay, because it it's way more work to do that. Okay, um, OPC servers like Kep Server or Matricon OPC will continue to compete for a shrinking market as more and more OEMs adopt MQTT as their industrial protocol and Sparkplug B as their standard. Right now, you will use a lot of OPC UA on the edge because of existing infrastructure. and um, But long-term, it's going to be PLC native MQTT into your broker. OPC UA just can't compete. There's too much technical debt in the spec. And hell, that post is from like last year. Here's an example. 24 tags changing once per second. Six inter 16 integers, five floats, two strings, one Boolean, okay? The OPC server to client for five minutes. We collected data for five minutes. This is using subscriptions. 
Okay, so Ravil makes the argument, hey, if you use subscriptions, the, the, amount, of, the amount of overhead required to transmit that data is going to be the same for MQTT as it is for OPC. The fuck it will. As soon as he wrote that, I knew he had never tested this. And I'm not picking on this guy. He's, a, he's obviously a smart engineer. Okay, but I take issue with people who come at me who don't even test. They didn't even do the fucking test. That's, I take issue with those people because I've dedicated years to testing this and I share it freely with the community. So people who go on LinkedIn and say I'm posting misinformation, they're full of fucking shit and they wouldn't survive 90 seconds in a, in a debate with me in the same room. They wouldn't survive 90 seconds. They're the ones who are misinforming people. I look at that conversation in our Discord thread and I think, if there isn't somebody to come in here and say, that's not true, that's not true, and that's not true, people are going to walk away thinking they're going to get apples to apples using OPCUA subscriptions or over MQTT. This test is pure subscription. I'm going to show you the fucking code I used to do it. All right? OPCUA server to client for five minutes. We used MQTT Sparkplug B broker-to-broker transmission for five minutes with no compression. And then we use broker-to-broker with compression. He even referenced, maybe if you use compression, there'll be less. No. OPC subscriptions, 401 kilobytes over that five-minute. No compression MQTT Sparkplug B, 227 kilobytes uh, with compression, five minutes using GZIP. 116 kilobytes. There was a fool at a very large automotive manufacturer, a guy who's in charge of their IoT group, who tried to make this same false claim during a DTMA. Okay? Right after I actually did this benchmarking. I did it like on a Wednesday. He brings it up on a Friday. He was trying to undermine me in that meeting. And he was full of shit. I had done the test myself. I showed this data to this humongous organization who has over 100,000 global employees, he's no longer part of their digital transformation initiative. He's not even a part of it. Not even a part of it. Because this test was peer-reviewed by their organization, and they came to the exact same conclusions we came to. So, exact same registers, exact same frequency, exact same rate, no comparison. That's a demonstration of pure verbosity. Since every register changes once per second, report by exception has no impact on every single topic uh, changing every second. Okay, so here let me—I want to show you guys on under the hood. So this is raw Python code. Um, where what I'm going to do is I uh, let me skip through. There's a bunch of stuff in here that does much parsing, but let me get down here to our subhandler. Okay, so subhandler is sorry, uh, Dwayne. So here, here's the raw code. This is the subhandler for instantiating the connection to the OPC server, okay? And setting up all of our subscriptions, all right? So this subhandler object allows me, I create an object, a subhandler object for every connection to an OPC server, all right? So we log everything. We connect to our OPC server, all right? We browse for our object nodes. So what does uh, object node look like? Let me show you guys here real quick what that means. Looking at an OPC server, so this is Kepware, right? Um, this is your tag namespace. Can't remember exactly what OPC calls it. 
this is your object namespace. Okay. So if I go, if I look at connectivity area two, um, if I look at connectivity, I look at advanced tags, aliases, alarms and events, data logger, EFM exporter, all that stuff. Those are objects in the OPC UA namespace. In order for me to retrieve data using OPC UA from that server, I can set up a subscription to this tag and I'll show you how that's done. I can set up a subscription so that OPC server sends me an update every time that tag changes, okay? But here are the steps to doing that. Number one, I have to establish a connection, OPC client connection to that server. I can use, by the way, I could write code where I basically create multiple instances of the class so I can have multiple clients running on the same machine connected to the same server. The first thing I got to do is set up my connection, okay? That connection has a timeout, okay? So when I set that connection up, it's not a stateful connection. There's a timeout on the client side. I connect to the OPC server. If there's no updates within a set amount of time, whatever I define it as, the standard is 60 seconds, but I mean, you can extend it out. Whether or not you can lengthen that timeout is a function of how the company who wrote the OPC client wrote their code, the way that they, the way that they adopted the standard. They, they could give you the option to put in a, a variable. Hey, once I connect to a server, I, if, even if I don't get a response for two months, I don't want you to disconnect. Now, I may disconnect because of on the server side because of TCP exhaustion or something like that. But the first thing I got to do is they have to decide whether or not they're going to allow me to say whether there will be a timeout. So if I don't get any updates in 60 seconds, disconnect from the server. So number one, I got to connect. And I've got to define how long to stay connected for in the event there are no updates. Number two, I got to browse my address namespace. Why? Because unless I know exactly what I want in the OPC server without browsing it, I just know it in the top of my head. The first thing I got to do is browse the address space. And then I have to select the things I want to subscribe to the tags, the tag object, which is in the OPC server. There was a question Raviel had asked. It was a very good question. He said, what is how he said, how do you define a tag object? in an MQTT uh, broker? And the answer is, you don't, okay? You don't define a tag object, okay? A tag in an OPC server, tag object in OPC server, is the equivalent to a topic in an MQTT broker, okay? One, one advantage that an OPC server has over an MQTT broker is this. Um, Here's one advantage an OPC server has. I can create a tag object, an instance of an object. That's a tag or an instance of a tag. And that tag can live in many places within the OPC server. And the only real difference is, is where it is in the address space is a function of who its parent and child are when I'm browsing the address space. In MQTT, you can't do that. If I've got a topic, that topic has a payload tied directly to that topic, which will be your value or whatever's in it. And that doesn't, you can't, that's not an object. It doesn't live somewhere else in the namespace. So it, the, one of the fundamental differences is in MQTT for every topic that is, you know, if I have a topic that is enterprise forward slash uh, site forward slash area forward slash line one forward slash temp, the payload would be the value of the temp. That's not an object. That's a place in the namespace with a value. That's a fundamental difference between OPC and MQTT. I want to answer that for reveal, okay? But 
these are your objects that you have to browse in an OPC server. And these are the tags that live inside the address space. So one of the things that the first, one of the first things you have to do is you need to get all of your objects. Okay. So I've written an OPC client. I wrote this myself. I, the first thing I've got to do is get my objects. I can, and I've got a bunch of different methods. I can do this. I can go get children. I can browse all children. I can iterate through loop through it, whatever, get all the things that's in the address namespace. That's what you're doing in this code, right? So if I look back here, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at all the nodes in the address namespace. Okay. And now let's say I get all of my tags. All right. The first thing I want to do is let's go ahead and set up our subscription. So this is a little test code. I want to subscribe. Where is my subscription? Here we go. So what I want to do right here is for every, for every thing that I determine is a tag in my OPC namespace. I've browsed through all the objects. I've found all the tags. I've gotten the path to all those tags. That is the, the definition of that tag. I have now gone through and I have iterated through a topic, okay, a, a topic, which is a tag. And I've said, I want to get the path to that topic. And then I want to go ahead and set up a subscription. So I've said, I want to set up a subscription for, subscription for every tag that is in that address namespace. So what does that mean? There's in, in OPC, in OPC, you can do really, we can do many things. But the most common way of getting tag values, that is a value from an OPC server, I can do it one of two ways. I can either set up a subscription so I'm notified when that tag changes. Okay, I can do that. But the problem with that is that the server doesn't just send me everything. I have to browse the server, find the thing I want to set up the subscription to, and then set it up. It's deterministic to that node out there. Okay, that's number one. Number two, I can do what's known as an explicit read. I can do an OPC read to that server to say, send me the value right now. Okay, there's two ways to do it. I can, well, there's more than two ways. There's two main ways. I can read a value of a topic, uh, of a topic path and uh, call an item path, and, or... I can set up a subscription to one where I just get notified every time it updates. For my test, everything was subscription. So, but, and here's why. And, 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 and whether or not I set up a subscription or whether or not I do explicit reads, the architecture is still pull response. Okay, Ravil said that. He goes, well, what do you mean? What do you, hey, Dave Schultz, what do you mean by pull response? Here's what I mean by pull response. That connection is instantiated by the client. And that subscription is based on the connection that, that, that I set up with that client. Okay? It's, it's based on that connection. If I don't write my client correctly to reinstantiate my subscriptions upon reconnect, I don't have any subscriptions. MQTT and MQTT stores the subscriptions based on the client ID. So the client connecting to the broker, I can disconnect that client, reconnect that client, disconnect that client, reconnect that client. There's no code running on the client to reinstantiate all the subscriptions. That stuff's handled at the broker. So if, if the QoS is correct, that is the person who pushed the update, the QoS is correct, the client upon reconnect will be notified of the new value. Okay? So, and then there's a, a whole bunch of other code here. Let, real quick. Uh, let me go back. So that that's my initial answer on the OPC 
MQTT piece. When, and what I directly wanted to respond to was when Ravil said that subscription in OPCUA equals subscription in MQTT. That is not true. It is simply not true. Okay. And, and, and what I would love to do, it, it, anybody who's saying that what we're saying about OPCUA is not wrong or is wrong is misinformed. They have not done these tests themselves. There's not a single person who has ever challenged me where I haven't laid out my case and told them to go test this, this, and this, where did they not come? Where they did not come to the same conclusions? Did you see Ravel's comments? He kind of joined in, and Ravel, if you joined in after the beginning, at the beginning, yeah. Walker did say, "What'd you say? You'll you'll come around eventually." <laughs> yeah, I did. I said he'll come. I mean, he's clearly a gifted guy. All we and have to do is said give. In my him case, he gives three hundred sixty-seven. That's still higher. That's still much higher. I mean, that's almost four hundred one. Right. They're basically the same. Right. Okay. And then the second one, but so he has tested it, but. You got similar results. There's Ravel right there. If you both, not both, but only source time, then you will have lower traffic. Okay. If in subscription, you request not both. Yeah. So, I mean, he's confirming the difference is, is that he's got a 40, he's got a 40 kilobyte Delta and, but he doesn't have a 200 kilobyte Delta. That's my point. Right. I mean, that's within margin of error. What he, what he's demonstrating. So the number two, he said, I'm not really sure what he meant here, but. All right, let, before before we drop off, because I know we're at the end of the, the hour, real real quick, I never do that. I never get into, you know, showing examples of code or anything. And, and by the way, I didn't walk through all of it. Um, you cannot say it's not lightweight only in the case if the traffic is higher than your limit threshold. In other cases, you would say it is heavier. Uh, well, I mean, now that's, some, but that's a semantic argument, right? I mean... It's heavier. It's not lightweight. But uh, I, I'll, I'll concede that point to Ravio. That yes, I, I could probably say it is heavier. But what I, I'm always saying lightweight within the context of scale. So when you, when you know, when people ask us, you know, when pe when we tell people, I actually told this this morning, that when we built the largest standalone SCADA system in the world, you have one server with 11 million tags, talking to 14,000 devices. Okay, at in, in or yeah, fourteen thousand or forty thousand devices in fourteen thousand sites, with two thousand concurrent users and two million daily alarms, and we did that for one point six million dollars over eighteen months, and the next closest bid was fifty million, and the next closest bid above that was a hundred million. I'm talking about at scale. There were many challenges that we had, right? Not the least of which was. How the hell are we going to pull all that stuff at at scale? How are we going to just create the tags? And he, yeah, I mean, we wrote we wrote scripts to do all that. The, exactly. <laughs> if, if we had used the traditional architecture, you can't even achieve the same outcome. Not for the same, not even close to the same cost. Let me ask you this: for those of you guys in the chat, this this discussion, this is not a discussion I would normally have on YouTube. I do this in a private meeting. Because it, I normally would think this would just make people's eyes glaze over. I don't want to see this stuff. It's boring. Is this the kind of thing that provides value? Or is this like, hey, this is not the place for this kind of thing? Um, it seems like people would just want to know what your favorite soda is. Um, or is there a joke here I'm not getting? It's can, we even, answer, can it, we even answer this question? It's Schweppes, Schweppes ginger ale. 
Uh, Lavelle, hey, did I answer your question, Lavelle? More of this, Matt Kendall. Absolutely. And Ravil, we do appreciate you being a member of the Discord. A absolutely, Ravil. And, and let me and let me say this: um, in in no one should take this in any way, shape, or form that I don't have the utmost respect for Ravil, who clearly is a gifted engineer who has extensive experience with OPCUA. Valuable, and I want you to continue the discussion. We will shoot more content on this subject, and I would love to invite Ravil. Um, you know, onto the podcast to have a very civil discussion about this. I promise you this. Mark my words. Ravil will come around just like John Rinaldi did, just like every single person who does a deep dive on the technology comes around. Um, Mark Ritchie says, I came across MQTT a little over three months ago, playing a lot of catch up. Today, I've got MQTT on four machines, interfacing ignition, displaying machine status history tags, Maximo data. Report by exception, self-aware desktop and mobile clients. Excellent, Mark. Systems engineering has been struggling unsuccessfully the last four years with OPC. Going from clueless to proof of principle in three months, I'm sold. My man. Um, Let's freaking go, baby. Let's excellent. go. That's Let's what go. we're talking about, doing more with less. I'm gotcha. stoked. Awesome job, Mark. Yeah. All right, everyone. Uh, sorry, I know we're three months over, uh, three, three <laughs> minutes over. Three months over. Gee, could you imagine? Uh, three minutes over. Uh, again, I'm. Um, what I, what I think I might do is clean up that that I I don't know. I think that script we were doing some type of test with MQTT taking the topic namespace and publishing it over. But I'm going to put together a script that everyone can use in Python um, to do this own testing yourself. To do this testing yourself. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, maybe we could put that in the EMQ sponsored series. Excellent. I appreciate it. Appreciate everyone. See you guys next week. Thank you. See you guys.